The Yankees didn't throw away an opportunity to beat the Trastros this week. See what I did there? The Bronx Bombers took two of three behind the sizzling hot bat of Giancarlo Stanton. We'll get into the Yanks' turnaround and the fans making it rain on Jose Altuve and the Astros. Our special guest this week is a friend of the program, two-time Yankees World Series champion catcher, Jim Leyritz. No booing here next on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. Here's a pitch strike odd. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. It's Chris Sheeran here with four-time World Series champion Yankees great Jeff Nelson. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Sheeran, yes, and Nelly on Twitter at NYNelly43, and also over on Instagram at Jeff.Nelson43. I'm so upset I'm not on Instagram because that would be my first follow. You'll hear our <laughs> producer, Jake Brown, pop in during the show. Go give us a five-star rating and write in a positive review on Apple Podcasts. We surely do appreciate it. New episodes drop Mondays and Thursdays. We will be joined later in the show by former Yankees catcher, two-time World Series champion, friend of the program, former teammate of Nelly, Jim Leritz. But first, it's time to bring in my co-host and that four-time World Series champ, Jeff Nelson. And look, Nelly, they were 8-3. and three against the Indians, the Orioles, and the Tigers. We talked about this on Monday. They were 8-3 and three against you know teams that they're supposed to be 8-3, and three, maybe even better against. Splitting that Orioles series is not something that you want as a player, as a fan. But I will wipe that all away because this series against the Astros, even though they lost the last game with Garrett Cole leaving after seven innings with a 3-2 lead, the bullpen was just awful today. They get a pass, though, because they've been so good so far to this point in the season. But I think we have to start off and give credit where credit is due. The guy who is getting booed on opening day is now getting flowers and MVP chants thrown in his general direction Earlier in the season, the fans were farting in his general direction, like uh, from Monty Python. Now, bouquets are being thrown at the feet of Giancarlo Stanton, and deservedly so, Nelly, in his 12-game hitting streak, he's hitting 462. It's like a beach ball rolling in, and he's destroying it everywhere. Yeah, well, Giancarlo Stanton beat the Astros two out of three games. So, you know, he did it himself. I mean, it was incredible. I've seen players like that get on hot streaks, and, and then they just take over for about 10 to 14 days, you know, maybe sometimes three weeks. I mean, every time they get up, it's like a beach ball coming in and they capitalize every time. It's almost expected. It, it almost, you have to walk them. You intentionally walk them to get to the next guy. Even if there's nobody, even if the first base is occupied, he's that hot and he's not missing anything. You know, he's drilling balls in the stands. He's hitting hangers, you know, hanging curve balls. He, he's whacking in the stands, hitting base hits, hitting the other way, hitting through the shift, getting the RBI. That's what you love. I mean, it's not just the home runs, but the other day, what was it, last night? You know, they put the shift on, he goes the other way for an RBI. I mean, that's just something that, hey, this is what you expect. I mean, I like to see it more from players when they have the shift. Go the other way. Take the RBI. Take the base hit. They're giving it to you. And he was doing that, which was outstanding to watch. I'm so glad. You brought that up because everybody waxes poetic about his exit velocity and uh, 117, 120. But the thing that impressed me more than anything, you know, that meme that's out there, a guy's walking with his girlfriend and he turns his head to look at the other girl walking away. The other girl walking away for me 
is an 88 mile an hour ground ball through the shift and it's an RBI single. That's the girl walking away. That's what I want to see from this guy. Who cares about exit velocity? It's for the fans. I mean, they throw it up on the scoreboard next to the pitcher's velocity. You know, we had Scotty Bradley on a Monday. He doesn't care. I mean, who cares about that? I mean, if you get a bloop single and you get an RBI, I mean, it's a base hit. Who cares how quickly it got out in the outfield? I'd like to see distance. I mean, you have Judge and Stanton probably hit it further than anyone in the in baseball. I'd like to see how far those these things go. But as far as how fast they get out, who cares? You know, I'm just glad that the Yankees showed up in the Astro series. You know, the fans, you knew the fans were going to show up. You knew the fans, the 10,800, however many they had, you knew that they were going to give it to the Astros. This is the first time that they've seen them since 2019. They didn't play them at all because of COVID. You play in, in their own division last year. I'm glad. Two out of three, I, I would have loved to see them sweep, especially with Cole on the mound today. But they, it didn't happen. But at least they won two out of three and they showed up. You know, the only thing I wish they would have done, I wish they would have quieted Altuve the whole entire game <laughs> instead of him hitting three-run bomb today yeah and uh that was that was a 96 mile an hour fastball from chad green yeah, around his eyes looked like a, yes. a lumberjack and that was the first time in chad green's pitching life that that has happened to him a little a fastball up out of the strike zone was hit for a home run and i thank james Smythe of our ridiculous yes network research department for that but we're going to talk about uh, relationships between pitchers and catchers with your former teammate nelly jim layritz and it's something with the lineup i want to bring up and gary sanchez i know a lot of yankee fans want him in the lineup they want to get him going i am in that same church in that same pew there's no one who is rooting harder for gary sanchez to get hot than me because we've all seen what he could do beside the plate i know he's working on his stuff behind the plate but when he's in the batter's box I mean he could absolutely crush baseballs on the same level as Giancarlo Stanton and he's at his best when he's hitting the ball the other way but here's my point Jeff and I want to get your thoughts on this when Stanton we see Stanton have this 12 game stretch like he's having he kind of hides other guys that aren't really doing so hot in that lineup right now. You know, DJ DJ LeMahieu went 0 for 5 in the last game against the Astros on Thursday as we taped this here. Aaron Judge had seven strikeouts in a row, and you go through Twitter, no one's tweeting about that because Giancarlo Stanton is actually John Drago Stanton from uh, Rocky Four. I mean, every, whatever he hits, he destroys this guy, but he's able to hide that, and I think that's why you could start Higashioka, Jeff, because you have enough talent in this lineup to hide stuff like that if it's going the right way. Well, yeah, and even at this in the same sentence, you can hide Sanchez for his inability to hit as well. I mean, he had a good series against the Blue Jays, and that was opening series, and after that, he hasn't hit well at all. And, you know, when the lineup, rest of the lineup is going well, the bottom half, those are the ones that you want to try to get going. You want to try to get Sanchez going. When they were struggling offensively, they had to do something as far as, you know, Sanchez is not hitting, so we got to get Higashioka back there, and at least get our pitchers deeper into the game. And once he started doing that, yeah, it was against some weaker teams. Seven, eight innings out of Herman, out of Kluber. You saw Montgomery. I mean, he was struggling just a little bit, but still he's giving you six innings. And then Cole always giving you seven. So, you know, you're getting length out of your starting rotation. And now that some of the guys in the lineup are hitting, uh, you want to see LeMayu start getting more consistent. You know, that'll happen. You know, Judge, I'm sure, as well. Uh, you know, Urshela, Urshela was out and went out. You mentioned it earlier before we went on. He went out of the game today with an injury and hope maybe Hicks as well. So you don't know how that lineup's going to shape up. But pitching wins, and when your offense is struggling, you need somebody behind the plate to be able to carry the the workload, especially the starters. And, and when you talk with Sanchez, I mean, this is, I mean, what do you do? I mean, do you say, okay, everybody wants him in the lineup? 
will you give him four days? I mean, isn't this, I mean, he's such a mental guy anyway. You give him four days, you give him a series, hey, we're going to catch you if you have three or four night games in a row, we're going to catch you all four nights. All of a sudden, he goes over every single at-bat, and you're like, oh, well, we can't put him behind the plate because he can't hit now. And what's that do to him mentally? I mean, it's going to it's going to kill him. I mean, it's going to kill him even worse. It's probably killing him now because he's not playing. Yeah, just to piggyback on your point and kind of hammer it home, he was three for seven in that opening series or the first two games of that Toronto Blue Jay series to start the season with those two dingers that you mentioned. Since then, he is eight for his last 56. He struck out 17 times. That's a little less than a third of the time. So every third time he comes to the plate. And zero homers. Out. And no zero homers. Zero homers. Right. No homers. But see, my my issue is, and I know a lot of other Yankee fans that I kind of eavesdrop into on Twitter, they're saying, well, how is he going to get going if he's on the bench? Which I agree with. I mean, the only way to get this guy going is if he's playing. But right now, if the like if like Nelly said, and this is more important to me, you need to get the starting pitching going deeper into games. And with Higgy behind the plate, we've seen Corey Kluber have his best start. We've seen Jamison Tyone have his best start. We've seen Garrett Cole pitch lights out you're talking about Garrett Cole with a 161 ERA after today with a four and two record if they held on he would have been five and two and the other starters are 12 and 12 with an ERA north of 4.3 so uh, this is something that the Yankees to me this is exciting Nelly we all know we're going to get out of Cole every fifth day we do but it's the other starters I'm excited to see Jamison Tyone and his growth as the season goes on, coming back from Tommy John, I want to see if Kluber can keep having success with that changeup because he was mitten. Now, look, we, we discussed the Tigers, you know, looking like a double-A lineup, and, and they are, let's face it, but his changeup was filthy. And you get a free-swinging team up there like that. And let's be honest, most of the American League, Jeff, they're not world beaters. They're just not. So Kluber could actually get, if he could throw that change up more for strikes and Tyone, let's not forget, he has completely changed his pitches. I mean, we're talking about when he was with the Pirates, he was throwing mainly sinkers and now he's throwing four seamers more and he's having a little bit more velocity as his starts move along, the velocity is picking up. So if you get these two guys going behind Cole, the Yankees have something here that they could grow on, but I think that common denominator, which we saw in this stretch of games where the Yankees have had success, is Kyle Higashioka behind the plate. And as long as Giancarlo Stanton is doing what he's doing or someone else takes that baton in the lineup and picks it up for him, if he starts to slack off again, I think the Yankees will be fine with Higgy behind the plate and these guys progressing in their starts this year. Yeah, but you want you want LeMahieu, you want Judge behind Stanton right now since he's hitting third. You need those guys to start picking it up a little bit because then, you know, you're just going to pitch around Stanton and say, okay, I'm going to go after Judge. He's struggling right now. I'm going to pitch to him. I mean, why do I need to get hurt when you have your hitters meetings, all these analyticals? You know, you pick out a guy in the lineup and say, okay, this guy's not beating us tonight. And right now it's Stanton, and he is beating you. He beat the Astros for three games, uh, you know, two out of three. So he's going to be the guy that teams, when the Nationals come in, saying, okay, Stanton's hot right now. We can't let this guy beat you. You know, we'll we'll pitch to LeMahieu. We'll pitch to Judge. You know, if Shell is down, who's going to take that spot? Is Torres is going to, you know, climb up? Those guys are going to have to step it up because now you're going to start seeing Stanton, you know, being pitched around a little bit. rest of that lineup is going to have to step up. I mean, it's, it's great that Stanton's getting off to a great start, but pitching's going to wind up changing. You may see that against the Nationals this weekend. Well, can Yankee fans give an apology to Giancarlo? Like, can you guys, can I, he got so many boos. The poor guy got like a week, one hit, opening day, the guy 
got booze, and now there's MVP chance. This is New York. I mean, no, no, no. Well, see, the MVP chance will go away as well once he starts going 0 for 10. I mean, it's what have you done for me lately in this city? I mean, if you don't know that, I mean, you're a Mets fan. I mean, the Mets are terrible. The NL East should be the best best division in baseball, and it's the weakest division in baseball right now. Yeah, well, it's early. You want to talk about early. Stanton, when he struggled, it was early. Now he's come around. Now that the Francisco Lindor could come around, it'd be lovely. But uh, we're 500, so. Nobody makes the playoffs with a negative run run differential. (laughs) It's May 6th. May may the 6th be with you. It's the Uh NL East. We didn't lose to a scrub today. We... by the way, Scrub literally got the win in the win. Let, let's all yeah. let's all give a round of a, a round of applause to the New York Mets for for being the best team in April in New York. Come on, let me hear it, everybody. <laughs> Should I have done the slow clap, Nelly? And by the way, you you get a you, ring for April. You get a, <laughs> is there rings given out for that? The Mets have more World Series in April than any team in baseball history. Back in two thousand nine, <laughs> I I did a podcast for Yes, and I used to say that the fans in New York uh, for the Yankees had two two diseases. Janet Jackson disease and also Billy Joel disease. And it was one thing that N- Nelly just said, and that was, what have you done for me lately? That was a popular Janet Jackson song back in the day. And that's exactly what Yankee fans are. And Nelly knows that firsthand. You know, he wins a championship with the New York Yankees, then goes to the Mariners, comes back and gets booed. He wins four and comes back and gets booed. You think they give him a little love like fans do now. Like players come back. Like Karis LeVert came back to the Nets. He wasn't even playing. There's a huge video tribute. James Harden, who basically went out of his way to get out of Houston. He comes back to Houston in in early March. They have this flowery video made for him. Well, that's because the local that's because the local strip club business has made it rich (laughs) off of him. (laughs) He dropped a million in a night. But anyway, my point, that's the New York fan. He's going to get booed on opening day if he doesn't perform, especially if the Yankees lose the game. And he's going to get MVP chance if he's having a stretch like he's having right now. These fans go to extremes and that's why these fans are great. I mean, they bleed pinstripes they the, the pulse their pulse is in line with the pulse of this team especially the fans that go to every game i give them all the credit in the world and if they want to boo they paid let them boo but nelly and i to our credit after he got booed on opening day we don't have to apologize for the fans now we apologized for that back then because we we just said seriously after the playoff stretch that this guy just had six home runs uh, out of his eight hit six uh, six of his eight hits were home runs i mean give me a break it's opening day for crying out loud can can the body get a little warm like literally and figuratively before you start booing him so it just it goes with the territory when you're a Yankee fan and I'm just happy to see that he's it's Jeff it is so much fun I know it gets a little bit more heated and it gets a little bit more passionate when the Yankees aren't doing as well but I gotta tell you just being a baseball fan watching this guy hit watching this guy being locked in the way he's locked in it's so much fun and to go back to your point at the beginning it's not just 117, 120 mile an hour hits like that he's pulverizing out of the park. To me, it's the all around hitter he is. He's pulverizing the ball to all fields. And that is the most telling thing for me. No, exactly. You know, back when, when we played, I mean, when hitters struggled, 
they were struggled because they were pull happy. You know, they wanted to pull the ball all the time. And for them to get back into that rhythm, they stayed back and they hit the ball the other way. And they practiced that in batting practice. And they constantly did that. Once they started hitting the ball the other way, I remember Mark Teixeira. Mark Teixeira and I played, we, we were teammates in Texas. And, you know, Texas, the ball flew. He hit his 40 home runs there, but he also hit 270, 280, 290 because he was going the other way. He was hitting base hits the other way. He would take his homers. You know, all of a sudden he goes to the Yankees and he becomes pull happy and he wants to hit it in the seats all the time. And, and the average starts dipping down. And I was like, well, what, what are you doing? He said, you know, well, I'm not getting paid to go the other way. I get paid to hit homers. But when hitters struggle, you know, once they start going the other way, staying back, just like Stanton's doing, if he gets pitched outside and it's too far outside, he'll take you to right field. It doesn't matter. He can hit you out that way as well. So that's nice to see. And that's why I think, you know, Judge is just going through a streak right now that, uh, you know, he's just getting a lot of breaking balls, swinging and missing, missing the fastball. But he's another guy that's really hard to shift on because he he'll take the ball the other way. He'll take his base hits, and he can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Same with LeMahieu. LeMahieu doesn't have the power of Stanton and, and Judge, but he's a guy that you can't pitch one way. I mean, you can't shift him anyway because he does go right, he does go left. And and those those are pure hitters, and Urshel is the same way. They're, they're pure hitters. Those are old school hitters. They're not, I'm going to keep pulling. If you pitch me outside, I'm going to still pull the ball to shortstop and roll over on it. You like to see that stuff. Well, hopefully Urshel is okay. He made a diving play in the field, which he also had an error on allowing the Astros to set themselves up first and third. Chad Green did walk the leadoff batter, which is a cardinal sin that he broke when he came into the game. Garrett Cole didn't walk a batter, and then uh, Chad Green came in and walked the leadoff batter. And, of course, the Astros got the three-run home from home run from Altuve. But the bullpen, as I said earlier, they get a pass. They've been lights out so far. So we're not going to get on the bullpen, especially the fact uh, how much they've worked so far just this short into the season 31 games into the season but we'd be remiss Nelly and I have to ask you a couple a two-tiered question to this Labor Torres was my favorite player the last game of the Yankees Astros game but not not only did he beat the shift taking an outside fastball into right field what sorcery was that Nelly going with a pitch and beating the shift into right field he does that then he's on the base paths Aaron Hicks with the infield single the shift was over for Hicks, so no one's covering third. Torres sees that, takes third. The catcher was going to get to cover third, so no one's home because Presley is standing on the mound with his thumb up his butt. He doesn't know what the heck is going on, and I can guarantee I know why that is because they they do these shifts, but you think they have fielding practice at any point? Do you think they practice situations where the shift is on and something like this could happen? I don't think so because Presley looked lost. He looked like he was a five-year-old at a department store and he couldn't find his parents for crying out loud. So what was your assessment of that play there, Nelly? Oh, well, the ball, you know, the ball squeaked away. And once, uh, when the, when it was thrown to second and once it popped up, Torres knew that nobody was at third. And then all of a sudden nobody was home. That was something that happens at Little League when you're like eight or nine years old. Uh, but it was great heads up base running. I thought it was going to propel the Yankees and say, okay, here they come, 5 4. They're going to wind up coming back. And, and it didn't happen. But, you know, you love when plays like that happen. That's why, you know, that's why it's one of the reasons why I hate the shifts because there's always a base that's open. I mean, you might see more runners take, take, advantage of nobody being on third and this so happens the catcher was falling asleep and didn't bust his butt 
back to home plate. He was stuck with the ball in his hand saying, well, okay, there goes the run. Here we go again. Did the fans, guys, I'm curious, do you think the fans did a good service with their booing? Did they do enough? I mean, they brought inflatable trash cans. They went wild. Uh, one lady with inflatable trash can might have been doing uh, some some powder, it looked like, on the TV screen when I was watching. Extracurricular um, activities. Yeah, she might have got involved with the 86 Mets or something. I don't know, but... Uh, <laughs> They seemed loud and they seemed crazy. I saw a lot of videos. I watched obviously some of the, some of the games and they went wild. Did they do a good enough job of uh, booing the cheaters out of town? When the fans I just talked about and how passionate they are and how their blood pumps along with this team pitch by pitch, inning by inning, and they also waited almost two years for this to happen. So that was a lot of pent up frustration, aggravation. And just anger, straight up anger. And and they did what they had to do. And, you know, it's it's probably not out yet. Three games is not enough because in fans' eyes, they stole the 2017 World Series. Let's be honest. I mean, they were doing this stuff back then. And 2019, who the hell knows what they were doing then? I mean, the Chapman home run. You got Altuve crossing the plate. And then he's saying, don't take my jersey off. He, he might have had a buzzer on his chest. I mean, they never really investigated that any further. But, I mean, you could be detectives all you want. I, I watched it. He comes out. He goes into the clubhouse and he comes out without his jersey and a different shirt on underneath. A little sketchy. A little sketchy. Yes, yeah. I mean, you had 10,800 fans. I mean, they did whatever they could do, and I thought they did a great job. I mean, you heard that this was some of the loudest that they've heard Yankee Stadium in, well, I mean, they said two years, of course two years, because there was no fans last year. But no, I mean, I, I think it was great. I think that it was nice to see that they were taking up for their team, standing up for their team. They were passionate for three days. They would have loved to see a sweep as well. And, you know, you can't bring anything into the game. you got to sneak it, the inflatables or whatever, the trash cans you got to do whatever you can and we're going to talk more about this and the pitcher catcher relationship with another one of nelly's for it's catcher week here on the pinstripe pod coming up next jim layritz the king joining us now two-time world series champion with the new york yankees former catcher dh and he's also hosting his own podcast now. He's the competition. It's called Catching Heat. I just saw you tweet out about that the other day, Jim Lairitz. So uh, you and Sid Rosenberg. So welcome to the podcast game, my friend. Well, thank you, sir. It's good to be amongst amongst the great ones. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, uh, I need to start. Melly and I have been talking since this podcast started, not this year, but last year about the relationship between the pitcher and the catcher. We know uh, you had your time with the Yankees where you caught Andy Pettit, and it was something that was very uh, meaningful for both you and Pettit. So how how much does that relationship matter? Talking about Higashioka and Cole now, of course, but how much did that relationship matter with you then? And how much does that matter when you're in when you're a pitcher and catcher in that situation? Well, I, I think, Nelly, I tell you, it meant a lot to me just because it got me in the lineup at least once a week. You know, it was a situation where 1995, we were playing and uh, Pettit was coming up, coming up as a young kid and he was having trouble with Mike Stanley. Mike Stanley couldn't really handle his cutter very well. He couldn't frame very well. And 
Pettis, I want to say it's his third or fourth start, or maybe even his fifth start, I asked Buck Showalter if I could catch him, if I had been catching him in the bullpen for his work days. And uh, I went in, I caught him, and we had a great game. And after the game was over with, he walked into Buck and said, hey, you know, can we keep doing this? And Buck said, sure, we'll try it. You know, you know, I get Jimmy's bat in the lineup is, is, a, is a bonus, despite, you know, I wasn't as, as defensively uh, gifted as Girardi was as far as certain things. But, you know, it was an opportunity for me, and we hit it off in 95. And then, of course, 96, uh, Joe Torrey took over. And we, when Joe had took, taken over, they called me and my agent and said, you know, does Jimmy want to come back? And we were like, absolutely. But, you know, if you get a catch Pettit. And Joe said, yes, in the beginning we will. But if there's a tough lefty on the mound, you know, I may DH him and catch Girardi just to get two more right-handed bats in the lineup. So I'm not going to say it's going to happen every time. But the majority of that year, I think Pettit and I, that year, I think we were, I don't know, 17 and 6 or something like that. I think that's what it was in 96. You know, Jimmy, what is it? You know, as a reliever, I'm coming in for an inning, a hitter, two innings at the most and you know mainly for me I mean you caught me many a times I love throwing to you and I, I wanted just guys to move and you know I, I didn't care if the runners knew where the where you were setting up the hitter knews where, knew where you were setting up didn't matter to me but with a starter I mean what is that relationship what I mean how how does that work as far as being in a rhythm I mean is he shaking is he just so comfortable that he you you know exactly what he's going wants to throw in certain situations what is it yeah I know I mean for me and Pettit personally the year before that I was actually throwing Hitchcock personal catcher kind of for the same reason because family couldn't handle his football and I was able to handle this football much better. And I think that's where it comes down to, Jeff, is there's certain things a pitcher gets comfortable with. And one thing with Pettit that I was very fortunate was Andy had confidence in all four of his pitches. And whatever I put down, he would throw. And, you know, it, it was out of a situation where I, I used to tell you all the time in the bullpen, hey, you know, Pettit never shakes me. And every now and then I'd walk out to the mound and go, Andy, you know, shake me once or twice just to make it look like you're thinking out here. <laughs> but... I think it was more so the confidence that he had. Number one, he knew that I was a hitter first, and I thought a lot like a hitter, and he liked that. And then secondly, I just think, like I said, I just think it was just we, we just clicked from the very beginning, and then it, it, just, it just kept going. You just brought something up that, that I have to bring up, too, when I go back to Jordan Montgomery's start against the Rays uh, in last year's playoff game with Higashioka behind the plate. It has to be a trust factor, too, Jimmy. Uh, to to be confident to throw all of your pitches and to know that if you plant one 56, 57 feet instead of 60, <laughs> you have a guy back there that's going to pounce. Right. And I think my situation was a lot different because I was truly a personal catcher because I didn't play much more than that. I didn't catch too many more games than that. I, you know, so for me, you know, it's kind of like when Eddie Perez caught Greg Maddox. You know, Eddie Perez wasn't the starting catcher. He was the backup. And Yet, every time Maddox pitched, he was the catcher. To me, that, that's a personal catcher, someone who doesn't normally play all the time, um, but gets that opportunity because a, a certain pitcher feels comfortable. And, and I think you see that. I mean, it, you know, it's a situation where I got traded back to San Diego in 98. Sterling Hitchcock was almost out of the starting rotation. And Bruce Bochy called me in the office in Seattle and said, hey, you know, you used to catch Hitchcock back in New York. You think you could get him straight? And I said, sure, I can catch Hitchcock blindfolded pretty much. And uh, I, I was his catcher that night in Seattle. And for the rest of the season and of course he goes on to become the NLCS MVP uh, because he pitched so well in that series and gets a four-year contract the next year so I feel like at least you know we, I, I helped contribute a little bit to, to what he was doing and you know that to me that's the type of situation that a personal catcher is very, very important. Well, you look at Higashioka, and, you know, I don't know whether it was just the bad lineups from the Orioles and, and also the Detroit Tigers, but you look at Kluber's last two starts, two of the best starts probably dating back to his Cy Young years. 
And also Herman. Herman has had some really good starts, and Higashioka has been the guy behind the plate. And I mean, is that coincidence? Is it just okay? Bad lineups, and it, you know, these starters are good enough to get through those amount of innings and get deep into the game, or is it is, or is it something with Higashioka behind there? Well, you know how it is nowadays, Elliot. If, if, if it's in the analytics, that's what it's all about. But to me, that's not it. It's a matter of comfort. It's a matter of a guy feeling good catching somebody and if I've had two good starts with a pitcher why wouldn't you give the guy a third opportunity you know and I know they don't sometimes they don't like to get that personal catcher uh, situation in because you know what happens if the guy's hurt but I'm always a firm believer if it's not broke don't fix it and if it's working ride it as long as you can because now you know as well as anybody it's going to change at some point over 162 game schedule but you know it, it's it's one of those situations that I think if if it's proven and the, the pitcher's comfortable with it and if a pitcher goes to the manager and says hey I want that guy behind the plate why wouldn't you do that unless it was just such a, a big discrepancy from the starting catcher to the backup catcher well they're in a very precarious position here jimmy with uh gary sanchez and trying to get him at bats because if the pitching staff wants kyle higashioka back there there's not really too many other ways you can get sanchez at bats with stanton hitting the way he's hitting right now out of the number two uh, hole and as a dh so how do you possibly get sanchez going when he's been struggling for so long. Well, and that's the tough thing, you know, and one of the things that you have to kind of determine is whether or not, you know, is, is Gary Sanchez the guy that we saw a few years ago or is the last few years, you know, kind of what we're going to be getting, even though we're giving him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. You know, for me, I think it's it, it would be good for you know, Higashio to get more of an opportunity. Uh, and, you know, like Gary working on some other things in the cages and, you know, it can get himself straight because, uh, you know, the, the numbers speak for themselves. And I think if you're Aaron Boone, you're in a tough position, but you got to play with the guy that is going to give you the best opportunity to win. And right now, you know, I, I think with, with Cole and with, of course, Kluber, you know, gosh, he's the guy that you, you need to put behind the plate. And it seems like the only time Sanchez is behind there is if there's a day game after a night game or like last night he caught because Cole was throwing today in a day game. And it seems like, you know, we talked about a little bit last year, Shearney and I, as far as possibly moving Sanchez in the winter, and this might be the best opportunity. Maybe he's just not meant to play in New York. I think he's a terrific talent. I think he's really a great offensive player or can be a great offensive player and probably can be pretty good behind the plate as well. I just don't think it's going to be here in New York. I think he's just a, a mental guy and he really takes his at-bats behind when he's catching and, and vice versa. And now with him not playing, it's almost his values being lost. And we've talked to, well, we talked to Scott Bradley on Monday and he felt like, hey, the only way to get Sanchez going is is to get him at bats. But then again, he hurts you behind the plate. So it's really a catch-22 here. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a tough situation for, for everybody. And, you know, we just saw what the Angels did with Pools because as much as they would love to see Albert reach some personal goals, the bottom line is he was hurting that team. And, you know, they pulled the trigger on that. This is something that the, the Cashman has to decide of whether or not what direction do we need to go in with Gary? Do we do we need to put a first baseman's glove on him and give him an opportunity to play a little bit? You know, what, what can they do? But... In all honesty, I think they've given Gary Sanchez every opportunity, and I think it's it's one of those things that you you may just have to to bite the bullet. And uh, if you can move him, you move him. But no, you're one hundred percent right. You know, you played in New York. If you you know if this started with Girardi 
And it started with Jordy saying that he was, you know, he was lazy and that he wouldn't take instruction and he wouldn't do certain things. And this has been, you know, an ongoing thing for a few years. It's not something that just happened up overnight. And I think it's a situation that you know better than anybody. Once people in New York find a weakness, they're going to exploit it. And it's been exploited. And he might be like somebody, he might be you know, like somebody, some of the other guys that have been there before. Once he does get out of New York, he's going to flourish because he does have the talent. He does have, you know, the ability. It's just that maybe New York is too overwhelming for him. Uh, Jim, let's switch gears here and talk about the Yankees and what they just did. Uh, they took two of three from the Astros. They swept the Tigers and Nelly brought it up. They're like a double A lineup over there with the exception of the shell of himself, Cabrera, in the middle of that lineup. But my question is, after you see what they did to the Houston Astros, uh, taking two of three like they did recently, can that... Uh, Put the Orioles and the Indians and the Tigers aside for now. They went eight and three during that stretch. But taking two of three from the Astros and the fans being into it as much as they were and knowing the history between these two squads, winning that series, can this help propel them through their schedule the next couple of weeks here? Well, no, I think so. And I think the biggest thing that, you know, Joe Torrey likes tell us is it doesn't matter who we're playing, whether it's the first place team or the last place team. The bottom line is we have to win a series every single time. And it was so important to this ball club because of what was going on to have the trash can mania go on that, that, that started this series <laughs> and, and for them to take those two out of three. But even more importantly, guys, Stanton and his health and what he's been able to do, we're almost ignoring the fact that I think Aaron Judge has struck out 10 out of the last 15 times. I mean, it's kind of made us forget about things because no one expected, and I didn't, me included, that Stanton would be getting off to this great of a start and be this hot. We're all sitting back waiting for him to get hurt, and he is on fire right now. And I think that's got to excite the Yankees a lot. And, of course, I do still think that German is going gonna, is, is gonna to turn it around this year uh, because, you know, he missed the last, you know, at 90 games last year. And, you know, he's he is was a very good talent before his situation that he went through. I'm excited to see what the Yankees are going to be like as we go forward. And I'm really excited because I heard May 19th that they're going to start letting all the fans back in, which could be even ben- more beneficial to help these Yankees. All I could think about was you in 1995 warming up in the bullpen to see and them just dousing you with beer and killing oh, you yeah. with, us, with throwing stuff at you. And you go and look at the security guard going, dude, aren't you going to do anything? He's like, nope, I root for the Yankees. <laughs> it's, exactly. It's I mean, Pinellas the sits there and says, I, I smelled like Budweiser coming out on the, the pitching <laughs> inning. And Lou looked at me and said, what have you been doing? Luckily, I did okay. Or then he was said, hey, well, you, you're pitching drunk. Maybe Yankee Stadium is starting to get back to where players don't want to come in there to play, that they're not comfortable anymore. That would be a good thing, I think, for the Yankees. I agree. I'm curious, because you brought up Nell, Nelly. I mean, knowing Nelly, maybe he did have a few Budweiser's uh, before he went out of the mouth. <laughs> but uh, what, what instances did you have similar to that? And, you, you know, you played at the Yankee Stadium. You were an opponent. You were a home player. Have you had anything close to trash cans on the field or anything like that? As far as, as, far as the fans go, I mean, I remember, I remember when Chipper Jones' wife came for the World Series that year. She was like, well, oh, Chipper's never going to play in New York. You fans are so terrible. They were sitting on me and they were Listen, that was that was Yankee Stadium. I mean, you know, that that that's what the atmosphere was. I and mean, if you came into that stadium with a 
a, a hat on from another team, you better be ready because these fans, they, they supported their Yankees and they did that. And I never had a situation when I came back to play when I was playing for another team because, thank goodness, I had some pretty good years with the Yankees. But I can tell you this much. As soon as the first pitch was thrown, those people were screaming at me. They were yelling at me. I remember Mike Stanton drilled me in the leg in, in, in one of the games and the fans were just cheering like crazy, like, yeah, I'm glad, you know. And I'm going, wait a minute, you guys cheered me before the game started. Yeah, I mean, that's just, I, I love to hear that at Yankee Stadium, hopefully, like I said, I heard May 19th, they're going to start opening up to all the fans again. And if that's the case, uh, I'm excited to see what the season might be like this year in Yankee Stadium if the fans can keep this up. Thank you so much. We appreciate the time. Enjoy the golf today, pal. All right, guys, I appreciate it. And best of luck. And keep, keep up the good work with the podcast. That says goodnight to episode 50, the Chris Chambliss coach edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Brian Mungia for three for producing the show. Give Pinstripe Pod a five-star rating. Write in a nice review if you would on Apple Podcasts. We truly do appreciate the support. For the big fella, Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We will return Monday after the Yanks series with the Washington Nationals. Talk to you then, everybody.